Hey everybody, Jordan here. Real quick before this episode begins, I have a couple of audio issues, and so I apologize for those. Uh, what happened is I got some wireless headphones, and that changes the driver, apparently, and so all of a sudden the audio would switch from regular speaker out to headphone out. So even though I could hear our guests, uh, other people couldn't, chat was really quick at pointing out that this was a problem. And in the podcast, I've edited out the silence. Uh, you don't miss much, but there's going to be a couple skips, just so you know. It's not you, and it was editing on purpose. So uh, thank you for understanding. And now on with the show. You're listening to the Saturday Morning DMV Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Saturday Morning DCC Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. And today, we have uh, a wonderful, very special guest, uh, Mr. Judge James from the I Live for Crits uh, cinematic universe that he's created on the internet. Uh, (laughs) So welcome, Mr. James. We're excited to have you here. I'm a super fan of James. I've been a super fan of James. He, he even runs games that are charity driven at times. He brings people together. So when I was talking to Jordan and we should get him on the show, we should get him on the show. But he's always so busy because he he's at cons. He's running games. He's got 15 million campaigns. He's running all the DCC books in a row because he wants to play every single one there. I mean, you can't get this guy at any time. So when we finally got him Memorial Day weekend. He was gracious enough to come. And I'm a super fan. So. Thanks, James, for coming. Uh-huh. I'll let Jordan ask you questions. I'll stop talking because I'm just going to fanboy over oh. the whole time. So, <laughs> Jordan, be the professional. This is host. your guest, sir. I don't even have any <laughs> yeah, questions. No. Uh, I don't like. I don't like Jordan. He ruined my new Nair game at Gen Con. I didn't like that. Him. Was fun. So was like, uh, okay, yeah. no, it was really cool because I think uh, so. That's how I met James. Is we. Yeah. Uh, Lucian was like, well, I'm running this uh, Numenera game, and I was bored, and I didn't... Well, it was like towards the end of the con, I think. Maybe it was a Sunday game. Yeah. And so I'm like... Yeah, it was a a Saturday night game. Or Saturday night game. Okay. And so I was like, I don't know. And then they're like, he's like, you can buy tickets, and like people don't show up. Just like walk over there. And I was like, oh, so I bought some tickets. And then Lucian's game filled up. So I was like, okay, well, I can't play in his. That's kind of a bummer. Um, But then you came over being like... I mean, just the most excited gamer I think yeah. I've seen. And he'll let anybody you were like, in this game. We're, we're going to do this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so we sat down and uh, boy, that was fun. And there was just a good table. There was a couple quiet guys, but they were having a good time. And I just remember the lady sitting next to me was like, she loved Numenera. And like, I don't know, just the idea that everybody loved this game that wasn't D&D. And I had not experienced that, I guess, being p- playing mostly just D&D. Um, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. And then that game, like, the the ending was just really cool. I don't know. Like we we it was yeah bizarre. But that's <laughs> every fun. game. That's every new Monero game is bizarre. You know that con. I wasn't supposed to go to that convention. I had to can't bail out of that convention because that was the year that we had moved to um, to Philadelphia, and I thought I had to work through the con, and I wasn't able to go. And on like the Wednesday of the convention, like before the convention, and we usually mm-hmm. go. It's like the Tuesday or Monday before. Uh, and we, we spend the whole week there. Like my wife called me up and she's like, do you want to go to Gen Con? I'm like, what? It's Wednesday. She's like, we have some friends at the con that found us a room. If you want to drop what you're doing, get your boss to let you go. We can drive out now. And I was living in Philly. Well, I still live in Philly. But we started driving and we we drove through the entire night. And we started gaming after not sleeping the next oh, day. Wow. And we had three kids with us there, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> the con I wasn't supposed to be at. That was a good one, too, because I remember thinking, oh, my table's full. And then I saw J- James is just like, yeah, I don't care. I'll run 20 people in this game. Just bring them in, sit them down. And we'll have some fun. And I was like, and I saw Jordan sit down over at that table. And you're I often when I'm running games at the con, I I usually like enjoy watching other GMs look at me kind of angry that I'm interrupting their games, especially when their players are looking at me with like, yeah, how come know, our whole, table's not that fun. That whole look at me FOMO kind of, thing going, the fear of missing yeah. out thing that they're not at my game. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was good. And the other one that was really good, um, I drove over just after that one when I went to... Um, Five greatest strengths, weaknesses question. Yeah, here. yeah. What was the origin story of James here? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I played a I played ADD second edition because I'm 42 okay. and yeah. like late, late gen Xer. That's what you played in 1991 and 92. Mm. I had a gnome mage. His name was Lucky Lightfoot. He made it to 15th level. Yes, it was an illegal class in ADD second edition because you couldn't be a gnome mage. My DM let me do that. And then, I don't know, I just kept running games. And I just, I've never stopped. I've always had a campaign going since like 92. I've mm -hmm. never stopped. I never took a break. You know, I moved from AD&D to Alternity to 3rd Edition. Did I, I, I don't know many people that ran a 4th Edition campaign for over 100 sessions in 1st to 30th level. I did. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I figured I did my time in 4E. Killed the Tarasque. My party at... 27th level decided to go back and kill Strahd. And it was like, you know, like a, like, it was like a scene from the Sopranos where someone gets curb stomped because like they were so much more powerful than him at that point, which became classic in our campaign. Then they drove a, they drove an elven man of war across the skies of Ravenloft as Sigil crashed into the ocean and they defeated Orcus. We beat D&D. So that's why I don't we were play done. anymore. We beat it. We beat D&D. Yeah. What does it have left? <laughs> That's crazy. That's I awesome. actually don't know anybody that's done the higher level uh, fourth edition stuff, like to get we all did. the way to that. Uh, we did. The party, the players wanted to do it. They're like, we started out like they want to go the whole, they're like, we're sick of playing games like an ending at fifth or sixth level. And it was a bunch of friends of mine from high school. And we were playing online D&D &D in 2009 to 2012. So it was before it was cool to be on you know, on Zoom, it was no Zoom. So we were doing yeah. it on Skype and Map Tool. Yeah. So before Google Plus, that then before Google Plus, we we it was I, I it was right after I discovered Facebook actually. So do you guys have? I mean, with that high a level, like, do you have like fifty thousand of those? Uh, oh, it was a hot mess. Cards that you're yeah, like to remember all <laughs> your abilities a, and stuff. <laughs> it was a hot friggin' mess, and they had to have the the, the character builder. There's no other way around it. But I was in grad school at the time. So like for me to sit down on Tuesday nights and play a, a weekly game that might just be a decent combat was okay. Yeah. I felt like I, I still strongly feel that if D&D fourth edition was marketed as D&D tactics and yes. maybe skewed in more of the book size they went with, with the digest size uh, books later on with D&D essentials, if they market as D&D tactics, it would be celebrated today. But because everyone like got, you know, their their, you know, blew their lids when things happened with fourth from third, they freaked out, you know, I mean, and started the edition wars and all that crap. I mean, I really point. want them to re-release fourth edition, but as a video game, just like you said, and or like a combat simulator where it's like I could build a character, my friend could build a character, we can go fight monsters. Uh, because it it is like balanced and it worked really well for from my point of view, I guess. Uh, but at the table, it was just so confusing. And then my friends, like, I just remember the moment I was like, we need to stop playing fourth edition was we were playing this really awesome combat and it wasn't like a big monster or anything. It was just like a regular kind of combat. And then midway through, I say, okay, he's bloodied. And everyone just like sighs, like, are you <laughs> kidding me? We're only halfway done with this. And I'm like, we blow all our daily counter powers. And all we have left is... Jinx shot and yeah. pointy word, vicious mockery. There we go. <laughs> I guess I sly flourish again. I don't know, like whatever. But uh, and then fifth edition was coming out at the same time, and so we just kind of switched over. Uh, but I only got to level ten with my group. But that was my introduction to D and D. Like I had oh, played before. video games of D and D, but like when someone was like, "You should play D and I'm like, "Well, why aren't we playing the fourth edition? Isn't that the latest?" Thinking it was like software that you upgraded. And yep. it's not so. <laughs> yeah, I've never been a fan of how uh, drastic they make their changes. You know, I, I it's one of the reasons why I kind of shifted to more indie games. And I mm -hmm. prefer to see the changes that come, you know, when Numenera, for instance, went from Numenera, the core book, to they went to the Discovery and Destiny split. They didn't like change anything drastic in there. So it still feels very similar. Uh, I prefer that kind of progression to the let's just burn the whole house down and start over so nothing works, you know? Mm -hmm. um, well, so. and yeah, and I was actually talking about this with 
some people that, in the case of D&D, I think because of the open game license, Wizards of the Coast was like, we could make something in-house and call mm-hmm. it D&D, and then we have the control and whatever, but part of what makes D&D and just RPGs in general really good is the community that gathers around it and creates all this crazy stuff for it. Um, and it wasn't until, well, and I think that's what fourth edition, they're like, we'll be able to control this and stuff. But later on, it was like, oh, I don't know. Um, and, you know, Monty Cook doesn't have that problem because he created Numenera and it's his and he could True. do what he want with it. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, what was so, the, oh, go ahead. oh, no, go ahead, Lucian. You've got awesome questions. Yeah. So how long I'm assuming short, but how long was the transition? You started playing these games and you're like immediately I want to be the one running them. And what was it about running them that really drew you in? Because you run a lot of games. You mean when I started doing it? Or yeah. The fact that I'm what, what got you started? What was the campaigns now? Which yeah, is that's just on the site. Start us there and get us to now. <laughs> Start us in um, the beginning. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I I have a uh, I have a different path to fantasy than I think a lot of folks that are maybe a little bit older than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I always call, I like to call it like appendix Nintendo. Like everyone has their appendix N like for me, I started with the video games. I mean, I'm, I'm an NES kid. I mean, I was in the eighties in front of, I had what my doctors called Nintendo neck from being like this in front of the TV, you know? So like legend of Zelda, final fantasy, uh, you know, Crystallis, all these games I was playing Chrono and Trigger. I, well, that's, that's SNES. I wasn't allowed to have a super Nintendo. So I didn't finish that until I was in college, you know, so I still hold it against my parents. I had to, I just finished secret of mana finally last week. All right. So I had to, well, and you were going through final fantasy three and a bunch of the other ones too, were you? I beat, like, uh, I, well, I'm, I'm, I, I keep track of a lot of things. I'm always reading a book. I'm always playing a video game. I keep, tra- I have a spreadsheet of what I'm working on and what's to go. So let's, I have a problem with Excel. Right? That's, <laughs> but to, to, to backtrack the Lucian's question, um, I, I always wanted to write my own video game. And I remember oh, like being is. 10, 11 years old. And I'd have my mom would get me these poster boards and I'd sit there with crayons or colored pencils and draw out what the screen would look like screen to screen and how much I wanted to like write this. And I hit my mom, hey, listen, we're done. Can we fold this up and send it to Nintendo and they can maybe let me write a video game. And that didn't happen because, you know, I was there. Was. And it, yeah. <laughs> so when my neighbor uh you know introduced me to Dungeons Dragons and it was in the old red box with the Elmore cover and I played a magic user named Kid Wizard in the first game I had one spell it was ventriloquism and um, I was killed by a shop owner because he tried to screw me out of like buying a silver dagger and I died in the first session I thought I'd like to do this but I can do it better and like you know, so I found friends and I wrote the worst games ever and I just kept going and it was terrible. And every once in a while, I'd get a little less terrible and some more players. And by high school, I had, a, you know, full on campaign going and I just enjoyed telling stories. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it gave me that that opportunity uh, to to kind of experience storytelling in a more structured manner. You know, I think if I was lived a thousand years ago, I'd be at the campfire telling stories and something like that. It's just that is my that is my calling as a storyteller. I don't like playing. I, I folks that pull me into games or I have folks that say, hey, look, thank you so much for running this. I'm going to run a game for you now. And I'm like, don't. I don't like it. I don't like to play. It's OK. Mm-hmm. I'm not offended by like, you know, if it, don't be offended if I don't if I don't want to play with you. But I, you know, don't just like why I don't watch actual play videos. I don't get it. Yeah. But uh, I do like telling the stories. That's fun. Do you, so you're writing a bunch of games for your friends and stuff for, or pretty much the whole time, but um, specifically I'm jumping ahead a little bit with Dungeon Crawl Classics, but like there's so many modules that are with all of these RPGs and I know you like to run those. So how does that factor in? Do you just read mm-hmm. all of this? Do you steal the bits you want or do you try to run them as intended? Well, you know, a, a, a bit of both. Um, I, I've spent a lot of, yes, in the last several years, I spent a lot of time running pre-published modules. 
And there's usually a reason why I'm doing it. There's this undercurrent. So we're going to like peel back the screen here a bit. Okay. <laughs> I've worked the last year more than I've ever worked in my life. I'm in an industry that's directly facing the pandemic. So I did not get to stay home. It cut my prep time down. So I have shifted. I had shifted entirely to publish modules. It gave me the chance to still game. And I had the time to game. I didn't have the time to prep. So like sort of the secret about like some of this stuff that I've done the last year, but why am I running all these mods? Because I want to play more games, but I don't have time to write anything. I'm kind of shifting right now. Like, I mean, I've got like 60 pages now of backstory in one campaign I've put together of something I'm running right now. It's not, isn't even DCC, it's fantasy age, you know? So I do run other games besides DCC. Uh, but like, you know, I, at the time in the last year, in the last couple of years, I've been very busy with work and, Dungeon Crawl Classics modules, I believe, are hands down the best written modules of, of all time. I think that they're writing uh, specifically the stuff by Michael Curtis and Harley Stroh and uh, Stephen Newton. Some of those adventures are not just the best ECC modules. They're the best written modules of any published material. Um, you know, even if it's just still d and I mean, DCC, it's freaking third edition with some crap bolted onto it. You know, like, I give d and all kinds of crap, but I'm playing D&D. Yeah. Um, so what are, well, okay, I'm going to back up with, uh, it's 2012. We're backing up. We're backing up. Uh, Goodman oh, Games oh. comes out with this uh, silly game called Dungeon Crawl Classics. When did you start picking up DCC? Uh, yes. What? Is that my, is that my kid or something? No, he's, he's going down we, for a nap, back but to he past, decided remember? to yell down the hallway. I know. So. Mine are like 17, 15, and 11. They're saying, Dada, something's in trouble. All right. Um, so it was, it was 2014, and I was, at the time, trying to, to – so for me to back up a second, even during D&D 3rd and 4th edition, I had this desire to go back to some of the older stuff and to explore some of that clat – to hit that nostalgia button in my brain. And um, so during this, I guess the spring of 2014, I was, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts. I was traveling a lot for work. I was listening to the role play DNA podcast and it had like Justin Suzuki was on there and a whole bunch of other people. And they ran a, they ran a, an actual play, which I would listen to at the time because they, they, it was on there. I had to listen to it of DCC of these like farmers getting their asses handed to them by like snakes and crap. I'm like, holy crap, man, I'm just going to take a whole squad in here of, of zero of like nobodies. I thought the entire premise was a bunch of farmers and bakers and costermongers from going up in level. You have this party, it goes up in level. And I bought the core book and I read the core book over the course of two days. I read the book cover to cover. Uh, and this is really cool. So I went to, you know, uh, Gen Con 2014, bought a set of weird dice and uh, didn't touch it again until a few months later. And then we started playing it and played a bit more and played a bit more. And at the time I was running mostly Cypher system games, mostly Numenera and the Strange. But like with me, I evolve over time and I sort of have different, there you go, get Cypher out. Cypher. I see it's, that's, a, that's a first ed Cypher book, right? Yeah, first yeah. ed. That's, that's the old school Cypher. <laughs> way back in 2015. <laughs> so yeah, so at so so from 2016 to like this year, so, uh, DCC or eventually MCC was the game I've run probably the most. That's awesome. Uh and is it because it has that old school feel or like was that the original draw or is it just I don't know. Like I think there's a uh, and I guess I'll just be frank with this. I think there's people out there that that like to hate on D&D because it's D&D. But you don't necessarily feel that way, even though you kind of bash D and D fifth edition a little bit here and there, like. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I mean, like to 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 set that aside again, yeah. we're behind the curtain here. We're like getting real deep here in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. D D does. I like to promote and talk about great games. Yeah. Wizards of the Coast does not need me, so there's no need for me to talk about great games that they're putting out. That's the first thing. Second thing is I really don't like. Wizards of the Coast business practices. I don't like Hasbro's business practices. Mm -hmm. I don't like the fact that you aren't getting PDFs. You're paying for subscription service. You're paying for DRM, DRM garbage. I don't like that. I, I don't, I think it's, it's the way games have been monetized in the last few years. It's pushing towards the worst aspects of what kind of ruined video games with, uh, 
you know, downloadable content, being really on the game already, in the game already, you're unlocking it for more money. I hate that crap. So I, I have a lot of disagreements with how the current D&D is sold, published, uh, all that crap. The stuff is solid stuff. The system's solid. I've played 5th edition once. I own a player's handbook. I've read the player's handbook in the DMG and the monster's manual. It's quality work. They did a good job with the material, but I'm not going to promote it. So for, but, but I'm still playing D&D because Dungeon Crawl Classics is really just, it's third edition D&D with, with that's got some really awesome charts bolted onto it mm-hmm. uh, that make the game more gonzo and fun. And I believe what the charts and randomness do is it makes the game, it gives it a narrative element that, you know, some story games have, but you just a random chart. You have no idea what's going to happen. Some of the craziest crap that's happened in my game has been legendary because of those charts. DCC Lankmar running it last year, most powerful use of a ward portal spell ever. You know, the party wanted to, you know, they, they were in this lair of this, this, this crime boss and they got into a fight and then they set a fire, you know, in the basement of this building. And there was like wine casts and liquor casts around and they ran out of the room and the, the spellcaster, it wasn't fun, it was the thief. The thief in the party had one spell for magic training and he cast Ward Portal and cast it so high that he just removed the door and made the entire room just stone. And the, the bad guys baked alive inside. And it's like, <laughs> that's the most badass use of Ward Portal ever. And that wouldn't happen in a 5e game. The spells don't work that way. But I don't need to have crazy magic to enjoy a game either. Yeah. I play a lot of Shadow the Demon Lord, and that spell system is much more akin to the 5e spell, except for the spell that makes you poop yourself to death. <laughs> That's a great spell. Do you Hate find you're page. kind yep. of drawn to the, the campaign worlds of, like, going to Numenera, going to DCC? Now you're going over, like, right now you're moving into a big fantasy age mm-hmm. kickoff that you've been talking about quite a bit online, too. Is it the 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 worlds that are drawing you in right now to these different game systems, the different you know campaigns, or is it just? It depends. It depends on what I'm feeling at the moment. You know, like when I when I discovered Numenera in 2013, I was looking. I was on this post. I was on like a two year quest to find a system after 4E to find more players. I thought for a year it was Savage Worlds. I played a lot of Savage Worlds, mm-hmm. but um, I was having trouble finding players for that. And then when I ran Numenera, like the system just felt cleaner and smooth and and it and it you know it, it had that loot grab aspect i think D does really well like i think every like the the best systems for long-term play in, in my mind with more traditional players by traditional i mean people that like you know are, are the D players you know so you're trying to get them away from D, you know some of the best systems are to have a system with a good loot grab option so something that makes you feel like you're gaining something not just improving your character uh, and systems that have, uh, you know, lots of cool monsters and cool locales and Numenera had that. So, um, you know, I, for that, it was the world. It was the universe that science fantasy feel. Um, and, but when DC, I was playing DCC, I was kind of like wanting to stoke the nostalgia and I, I play within, I kind of have a, a, my own world, but it's essentially, it's a, it's an amalgamation of all the locations in the modules. Like the purple planet exists in my universe, the shutter mountains from, um, you know, chain coffin exists in my universe. I have a map from incarnate that I put together that kind of like ties everything in together, but it's not my setting. It's just my way of putting stuff together. What I'm working on right now, it's my setting because I'm in a mood to write a campaign setting, which I haven't done since uh, the mid two thousands. That's cool. Is there a, uh, well, this is a question that I have, uh, I, I love Dungeon Crawl Classics. From the minute that uh, Lex, who's like in chat, he was like, hey, I want to run this game for you. And I'm like, okay. And I was blown away at how attached I got to my funnel character. And when he survived with only two hit points max at the end of Sailors on the Starless Sea, I'm like, I want to level him up. Like, I want to keep playing this so bad. I thought it was so cool. And yep odd that I could be so attached to this peasant that just barely you know, inched his way through an adventure. Um, but I've ran it for friends who are the complete opposite. They don't like that they can't build a character and make him really cool. And I, I want to have all of this stuff here. Uh, have Do you run into that? Or is it just now at the point it's kind of like, well, I have friends who like this rather than trying to 
uh, I don't know, like square peg in a round hole kind of a thing? I do sometimes, you know, I try to have the conversation that's a different experience. Like, you know, like to go back to video games for a second, you know, I mean, Legend of Zelda is a, you know, it's a, the older games, at least they're pixel, they're pixel based, uh, sprite based, and you play a Nintendo and it has a fantasy feel to it. Uh, Final Fantasy, pixel based, sprite based, similar music has uh, played a Nintendo, very different way of playing in a fantasy setting. That's DCC and fifth edition, like next to each other. It's a different kind of game. So D&D 5e or Pathfinder or heck, Fantasy Age or many other systems, they're built upon the idea that, you know, you're going to make a character, you're going to customize this character, bring your own persona to the world, and then explore the world with that persona. DCC kind of harkens back that nostalgic feel of it's random. You don't know mm. what you're going to get, but it does unlock this really cool high risk, high reward feeling when you're, you know, your Cooper, your barrel maker, <laughs> who is a nobody gets to first level, uh, you know, and survives. You've now have a cool backstory that your D&D character is going to have, but you didn't play it. Yeah. A DCC character at level three, four, and five is a friggin' badass. So it's not like you experience the entire campaign as a loser. You know, you start to become epic. And I think that for but those- you remember that, your roots as a barrel maker. You played as a loser. Exactly. And if you want that feeling of having more customization, what's cool is, is Goodman Games, you know, when they did DCC Lankmar, and what I hear they're doing with DCC Dying Earth, is there is a bit more customization to the characters- and less of that European feeling. Like in DCC Lankmar, you start at first level, not yeah. zero level. And, you know, it does feel a bit more like you're a more powerful full character with more of a legendary background. But it's a different kind of game. And neither is right and neither is wrong. Mm -hmm. And when I, you know, do hate on D&D D D on my Sunday night show, part of that's because, you know, it's a shtick. And part of it is because I got issues with D&D. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you're having a great time playing D&D, &D, that's great. What, what drives me crazy when people don't want to try other things. And what drives me really crazy is, and we discussed this a little bit before the show, is, you know, when people's friends won't try other, other things. Mm -hmm. I am very fortunate and blessed in that I could pretty much say I want to run anything I want right now. I will find players for it. And I understand I live in a kind of a privileged position because I've spent years cultivating people that kind of, Know, follow me on I'm, I'm not an influencer i'm not going to say that but like <laughs> i know enough people and have enough of a twitter verse like of mm -hmm. followers that if i say i'm going to run something i'll find someone to play it they may hate it but we'll at least try it <laughs> um you ran me through a lankmar game for uh either bride of cyclopscon or dcc days i think it was i think it was bride it was something like that. Yeah. One of those, I don't know. They all kind of felt the same. I don't want to sound mean to Goodman games, but I was just like, it's a, it's a con and I get to play with people. It's an online um, DCC con. But I love the Lankmar, which, so Lankmar is uh Fritz Leiber, right? That's his books. Yep. And yep. Uh, it was an old D and D setting that then, well, they turned those books into a D and D setting way back in the day, but this is for Dungeon Crawl classics. Um, but they had that like luck mechanic that I thought was really fun. Uh, and, I also have read Dying Earth because I was really excited. And then I found out when Goodman Games is making Dying Earth, uh, I was beyond excited. And I think whenever that comes out, that's going to be like what I run for a year. Like, I'm so excited for that coming out. Um, Dying Earth, like, have you read those books? Are you are you just excited or? Yeah. Yeah, I read them. I read them last year. So what am I? I made these COVID goals early on in COVID to try to keep my mind centered on something. And one of them was I, I, I started reading, I hadn't read more than two or three novels in a decade. And so starting last summer, I made a point, I was going to read one book a week minimum, you know, and I just, start, and I had a whole stack of crap I had to read. I fortunately have gotten through that entire stack and have a new stack of crap I have to read. <laughs> but one of them was I wanted to read the Dying Earth stories. So I read all of them, um, didn't like Rialto, uh, that, that stories, but Kugel loved, loved the Kugel stories. I really hope there's a lot of like worm cloaca cleaning in the, uh, <laughs> in the, in the, in the, the, can the setting, you know, it's a lot of that, 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 with that middle of the second Kugel story is him like cleaning out worm butts, which at this point is going to sound weird to folks who don't 
haven't read those books. Yeah. So. <laughs> Seems out of place a little. <laughs> I I really want there to be uh, a like some kind of weird parasite mechanics where if oh, like yeah. like how Kugel has that one attached to his liver or something, and so. <laughs> Me as the DM, I could just like roll randomly and be like, oh, yeah, you're you're like in the most pain you've ever felt or you're being influenced this way or something. I don't know. And we'll see what they come up with. But like it's just a it's such a weird, fun setting. And it's funny reading those uh, Jack Vance Dying Earth series. And all I could picture was Dudger Crawl Classics. I was like, I think they Goodman Games really captured those old Appendix N books really well. Um, especially with that. And I've now started reading, um, some of the Fritz Leiber stuff in preparation for, like, I kind of want to flip through Lankmar and be like, this is why it's really cool. Uh, like on the other YouTube channel that I started where I've been doing a lot of DCC stuff. I want to, I want to talk about like the Lankmar setting and actually do it justice. So I'm reading a lot of those books, but yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And and talking about starting a channel. Um, so you love games, you love playing games, you're running the games. And at some point you decide, I'm going to share it with strangers. I'm going to put this on YouTube and start talking about things or, and how's that lead up to where we're at now, where you're running your Sunday night show and, and you've brought your family in too, which I think is super cool. You have a family that is supportive or likes your hobby just as much as you do. Maybe they don't do it just for you. They like it too, you know, but yeah, they get to play. So you, like you said, you're this privileged person who not only do you have lots of friends that you can do these games, you have a family that likes to play games with you. What's, Tell us a little bit about that and just being able to play games with your family. It's a weird house. I mean, we <laughs> live in a weird home. When you go into our, our basement, as we call it, the Walls Dungeon Tavern. I mean, the basement mm-hmm. is covered in like pixel art. And whenever we finish a video game, new art goes up for it. So I have like, you know, art all over the place from different video games and different campaign settings and things like that. Uh, there's all kinds of art in the house. Even in the living room, there's art from Disney. I mean, our house is a very colorful home because yeah my 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 kids have grown up in gaming they've each started between the ages of four and six uh you know my wife works for a gaming company you know so like we all are just we are embedded in the the gaming verse Mm -hmm. which has its perks and its flaws right i mean there's good parts and bad parts to that you know but uh you know i guess i'm trying to so what was the what was the original question to that? Because now I'm just drifting off here. When did you decide oh, to really share it with everybody on gotcha, YouTube? Because gotcha, you gotta you gotta make a jump to do that. That's just not everybody you know does that. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I was doing I was blogging, you know, right. and the blog that seemed to get the most. I blog. I started blogging by accident in 2014 because I I write comprehensive session notes after every session. So after every session, I write notes about what happened in that session, who the players were. I keep a campaign crematorium for whoever croaks, and I keep a log of each character's, you know, what their details are of their of each character, who the NPCs are, and like that. Back in the old days, originally, like in the early 2000s, late 90s, this was all kept on a GeoCities account. And people could go to the GeoCities account and log in and file that stuff. I eventually, and then in the late 2000s, I ran my campaign, my 4E campaign. It was kept in a Yahoo account, which is shared docs in a Yahoo account. When I was starting to run Numenera and Savage Worlds in 13 and then early 14, I wanted some place that players could go and visit stuff. So I made a blog post, a blog page. I've made a, like a, like a, a blog spot account. And I figure the only people going in there and reading this crap are the people that are in my campaigns. And then other people started reading it. I'm like, what are you, like masochist or something? Or sadist, or whatever, whatever direction that goes. I can't remember which one goes which way. But like, why would you read my crap? And eventually more people read my crap and people were interested in the fact that, yeah, I was running campaigns for my kids, you know, because I wanted to, and Numenera was, was a big one. And then the next thing you know, I'm talking about that. And a year later, we're going on camera talking about it with the with the kids. So it just happened by a- everything happens like by accident. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the opposite. So it's one led to the other. And, and so yeah. you have your show now and you have Judge Evie and we have Judge James on and you guys tackle a lot of different topics about what's going on in your lives or games you're doing or games mm-hmm. you're prepping or games you're getting ready for. How do you feel that show is going? How do you feel? Um, do you, you got more stuff in the future you guys want to do with that? Do you feel like you've got your 
your format all set out or how are you feeling about that? Um, it's going to make sound weird. And for the folks that watch, uh, we love you, but I don't care how it's going. I, <laughs> I do it. I, if you watch our audio is crap. Our video is garbage. We are not produced in any possible thumbnails are good great. way. Come on. The thumbnails are good. <laughs> I do it because after two years, my soon to be 15 year old daughter still thinks it's cool to jump on a video on Sunday night and hang out with her dad. Right. The second, she doesn't think that's cool anymore is the second it'll stop. When I have something important to say, like I did want to share about fantasy age. Why? Cause I was getting some feedback from people. Why are you playing this? Why not DCC? Mm -hmm. So I put a video out about it a couple weeks ago and every once in a while I'll do a review on something. But the reality is I do that because I get to hang out with my kid and yeah. I think I'm lucky that my kids don't hate me enough that they don't want to <laughs> hang out with me or the only thing I'm so weird that oh there's dad playing playing his playing his elf game again or whatever you know yeah it's come nice on to see hang. my college tuition went into a bunch of dwarven forage but... I know it's <laughs> <laughs> a good point it's an investment um, honey <laughs> that's right uh you guys get this when I croak um, yeah <laughs> But that, that's why I do it is really to just, you know, living for crits on Sunday night started out as me and her were going to explore fifth edition. And we, we explored one session and decided it wasn't our game. So I remember Jordan making a comment somewhere or you guys, I think it was, I can't remember if it was on, if you guys were doing this back then or you some, I think you were, cause you said something like, I think it was, I remember you saying it was on the video. I remember someone saying, Jordan's talking about you and you're playing 5e, you know? I was like, where, where do you say that? You know, and it's like, <laughs> even Judge James is playing 5e. You know? <laughs> that was a big deal in the house. Oh, yeah, okay. And yeah. pay attention. Yeah. So, no, it's funny. We were like, uh, Lucian and I were talking last week about having you on. And I was like, I don't think James realizes that, like, I'm a fan. Like, it's just yeah. like, I, I follow and watch a lot of your videos and stuff. <laughs> I, and it's which funny. Is cool, but I, I, I don't get, I don't get the appeal. So it's cool. Right. Um, you know, I mean, and I really do appreciate it. And we appreciate everyone that hangs out. And like honestly, if our if our our Twitch stream very barely breaks 20 viewers at any given time, and I'm fine with that. We're friends with a lot of people on there. We get to talk to people. And when like haters and trolls decide to come on and like say crap, I'm always like, you're we know we only get a hundred or two hundred views per video. Yeah, nobody cares. We don't nobody give cares. a shit, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we're not here for you. We're here for us. Like the fact that my wife and I are terrible human beings and we have all these inside jokes about other people and we think they're hilarious, you know, <laughs> and, and, but, but if no one else finds it funny, we don't care. Yeah. You're not, you're not doing stand up comedy with that because it doesn't matter. I don't need your approval. I, have, I, I laugh with this person. It's fun. Exactly. <laughs> I have like three published things. Two of them are in like a cypher system magazine. Everyone. And I have one published module, which, and I, that was like, I checked the box off bucket list, write it, write an RPG product done. And every like three or four months, I have enough money built up and drive through RPG that I can get a new map from, from zero hour for a new spaceship. And I just cash it out that way. So, <laughs> um, I was curious about your, uh, campaign world. So mm -hmm. I've been trying to write like a campaign, uh, setting for, I like since December or so, cause I thought it would be a fun challenge just like you, like check it off kind of thing. I was like, I've never done sure. this. I've always ran in published worlds or stolen from published worlds. Um, tell us about it. Like what, what's your, what is the name? What's the catch? What systems are you running it in or what are you doing? Sure. Last summer I wanted to uh, write a campaign setting like um, for, for fantasy age. We wanted to play fantasy age. I was looking for a different, I, last year, I wanted to dabble and try as many fantasy RPGs as I could. That was a goal in early 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. So I was playing Demon Lord. Uh, I was playing DCC before that, but I was playing Demon Lord. Um, I tried Swords of the Serpentine, which is awesome. And I can't wait for my book for that to come. So that's a gumshoe uh, fantasy game. Really, really cool game. Uh, and I, I, played, I, was, I had played Ryutama. I wanted to try something that was different and I owned the fantasy age book and had never played it. I'm like, you know what? We're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to, so I love the system. I played, I'm sorry. I played it. I never GM'd it. Correction. Oh, God. Um, so I'm like, we're going to, we're going to try this. And I wrote like a real short, like JRPG, Japanese RPG inspired setting where like there's crystals and there's gods that walk the earth that have the power of the crystals and the crystals have real stereo, the crystal of light, the crystal of shadow, the fire, earth, air, water, 
very, very stereotypical Japanese RPG kind of stuff in there and mechanics. I, it's bright and it's colorful. And, you know, it's, it's unlike my DCC aesthetic. Cause like my DCC aesthetic is pretty much the princess bride meets, um, uh, what's it called? Your Highness with Danny McBride with, <laughs> with, with bits and pieces of Disney and the human centipede kind of put in there at the same time. So that's sort of my DCC aesthetic. I wanted a different aesthetic with less, you know, hard, like torture porn, I guess, you know, <laughs> and that's why I was like, I'm going to go back to my roots and back some, some, some JRPG stuff. And uh, we played like 10 sessions. My son, Cooper, he still plays in that world. He's his own character with his own Hero Forge miniature and his own art. We had him made by a by a, a, an artist last year. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to actually add some. I'm going to flesh this out and run this as a as a setting. And I just started writing and adding to the bullet points and everything and making it so and then getting player feedback from my my Wednesday night group, a group that started with DCC Lankmar. Um, and we moved on to Alternity, and now we're playing. We're playing. We're playing this. We've had our one session in the can. I just wanted to run something that I had written in a world that I could kind of con not control, but I felt like I was adding pieces uh, to the world without having to butt up against like existing IP. Like I love a lot of settings out there that are you know like I, I really enjoy the, the Dune universe or or the Star Wars universe. I used to, but I used to I really enjoy some of that stuff. The Mandalorian universe is what I call it. Now. Mandalorian universe is <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. But I, I, I enjoy those. But when you're dealing with like those worlds, I'm sure the same as you're dealing with Forgotten Realms. I used to feel as dealing with Planescape because my D&D settings were Dark Sun, Planescape and uh, and Ravenloft. Those were my yeah. my settings. You know, you you can butt up into IP sometimes or issues where it's like you're pushing against story canon. Yeah. But your own world, you don't have to worry about that. So I just started vomiting out information and I tried to include as much as I could from the two core books for fantasy age, the basic rule book and the companion. So everything in there was permissible. You know, uh, there's a reason that every single, you know, species is in the game and I popped out this thing and that's that I'll, I'll be happy to send you a Google link. If you want to take a look at it, Jordan, if you really want to, I'll, you can take a look at the thing. I, I'm, not, I'm not really sharing it openly because like every so many pages, I wanted to do art. So it's just screenshots from like Final Fantasy VI and Final <laughs> Fantasy IV and Chrono Trigger and Octopath Traveler and Monster Hunter Rise. Oh, yes. There's all these screenshots and and then uh, in, in it. So it's like not something I can just put out there in the world. But if you want to take a look at it, you're Yeah, right. no, I, I mean, I'm a big lore nut, so I would love to. And uh, I've been like... Uh, Tolis is a little too expensive for me right now. I'm waiting for maybe like a cheaper PDF to come out, but like that, Tullis? I don't think I'll yeah. ever run Tolis, but I want to read it because I, I enjoy campaign settings like that. But yeah, I'm on chapter a lot of, three and it's good. So there's far. a lot of, there's a lot of setting material. <laughs> that is a lot of setting material. I, I had, I, I mean, we have the books, like our video that we did with the Tolis was we, we just, we just did curls with it, you know? Yeah. Cause <laughs> As we as we said afterwards, if you want to watch a video with people doing a review, that's not our Sunday night show. If you want to watch people lifting Talus, that is our that is our theme on Sundays. But I, I have flipped through it. I think if you can download information into your brain, that's great. That is too much setting material for me. Yeah, uh, it might be without being introduced to it differently. I need to hear it in story format. That's why I loved Dark Sun for D and D because mm -hmm. I started with the Prison Pentad. And I read, every, I read every Dark Sun book that there was, and that's how I learned about the setting. And I had the campaign information, but it also wasn't, I think the books that came with, I think the Wanderer's Journal and the original Dark Sun box, that was maybe 96 pages, but I think it was 64. I know that the, 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 it was almost 32 pages, I think, for the, the, players, the player facing book. Yeah, we um, don't see that as much where they, part of the marketing scheme is to release fiction to help people get into the world they're also putting in the game that's coming out. Well, isn't there D and D fiction though? Aren't they still writing novels? For that Some, crowd? but I don't know. If just, uh, sadly just drifts novels. Like, uh, I think wizards and Hasbro were like, we want to get out of the book publishing business, but, uh, R.A. Salvatore makes too much money and, and Dritz being there, not too much money. I shouldn't say that. Like he's a fine human being. It's not like, Oh, he doesn't deserve that. Um, but they wanted to get out of like publishing novels uh, but that's like the exception because sure. 
their dark elf is kind of their front man for a lot of their <laughs> forgotten realms products. Well, so. Monty Cook does put out books that shot there you know, are shot yeah. and then write books. I've read yeah, Poison Eater. Poison Eater is fantastic. You know, yeah. it's a great novel. And, and Numenera was written in a way though. I, Numenera was easy to digest for me because uh, it wasn't six hundred pages. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like yeah, Palace yeah. is. That's a beefy book, you know. I've I've flipped through both the five E and the uh, that, that's the company my wife just like 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 full disclosure, my wife works for Monty Cook Games. That crap shows up to my house uh frequently and I get to just look through it a little bit ahead of time, which is nice. But uh I can't Talos is one of those games that I probably won't run just like Invisible Sun, which I know Jordan, you've there been like crushing on that one. <laughs> and that's a game I don't understand. I the 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 high point of that game though is it does come with a severed hand. Yeah. yeah. So like it, it, it is is probably the best RPG out on the market ever that has come with a disembodied hand in the box set. Mm. You know, it, it's above all else. Yeah, I it's remember the, uh, the the last Gen Con I went to, which uh, yeah, twenty nineteen. Uh, Goodman Games had DCC nunchucks, and it was like my game comes with nunchucks, and I'm like, I got a severed hand. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I win. Like, I'll take the nunchucks. <laughs> no, Invisible Sun is like a. It's a weird. Um, I need to run a game, I think, just to get it out of my system. But I've read all of the books, and I, the world is so weird, and I just I like the whole cosmology of it, like this whole these shifting suns of different colors and. Um, there's, there's weird things like the demons actually have all of the secrets. They know everything, but all they'll do is lie to you. And so it's like, I have this knowledge, but I can't. And so I've incorporated a lot of this weird, I don't know, just how they look at the world, I guess, and put it into little bits of D and D games that I've ran here and there, but I've yet to run a game in it. And so I don't know. <laughs> I have a hard time putting myself in that universe for me to GM a game. I have to be able to say, I live there. And this is what I do while I'm there. This is how yeah. I am. I need to be able to do that. And I don't understand how I put myself in Invisible Sun. Yeah. And the fact that Invisible Sun is, is, is connected as this alternate magical place to our reality, which mm-hmm. I, have a, I just have a hard time with. I didn't have a hard time with that in The Strange, The Strange, which was one of their other games that Bruce oh, Cordell strange. did. Strange. Freaking awesome. That I had no issues with, but there's also a science-y basis to uh, to why the strange was the strange. Mm-hmm. Invisible Sun doesn't have that. I've read the first two books in that bucket, in the bo- bucket, the box. Yeah. Could have come in a bucket, you know, that's the next. That's I mean, I next. think it was a marketing choice to have a box instead of a bucket, but the like. black cube. <laughs> it's a very, very beautiful game. It's very Yeah, well the art's together. amazing. You know, I smack on that too a bit just because like I've tried. I we had this surreal team six thing we put together to try to learn the game. And I crashed out of that like within three weeks. I'm like, I can't do it. I'm curious just, though, I mean, playing the strange and the Numenera and stuff, like Amani Cook designed such a elegant, simple system with those. Um, and not simple in like it's I mean, you can make it complex, I guess. I'm not it's trying simple. to say that, but say, okay, so you, but I I think I don't want to say that it's like I don't know. But you can do a lot with the Numera system. Like, I really like it. I think it's really good. Um, And it's weird where you're like, he's so, he was clearly able to fine tune and make these mechanics very uh, accessible to everyone. But he really made Invisible Sun difficult on purpose. Like, I think it's a design (laughs) choice. Like, I look at the, the, there's like a, a, a map for the makers and like this is how you build your magical items, and it's it's a flowchart. And I'm like, what is this doing in a game like this? Like it's almost. I pitched it to some friends, and I said, you have to be willing to do homework, because I yeah. can't myself know all of this for all of you. Like if you're going to be this type of character, you need to understand that, and I really can't help you other than passingly. Um, you, you and that's kind of like we were like, well, I don't want to play that. That I was like, okay. <laughs> You have to have people that are invested in in the in in that that box. If I was all about games like that, mm-hmm. I would not be able to find players as easily as I do. DCC has a very low barrier to entry. Yeah. yeah. You can have the characters made on purplesorcerer.com for free. You know, you can print your spells out of purplesorcerer.com. It's very easy. I think Fantasy Age low barrier to entry. I think, I think any of the games that I play right now, so fantasy age, MCC, shadow, the demon Lord, 
and, and, and DCC. That's the four games I'm actively playing right now. None of them have a high barrier to entry. Uh, you know, it's relatively inexpensive to get in and it's not a lot of reading. That's not Invisible Sun. You have to, you have to be steeped in it. And for some groups, I know it's intense. I know I have friends of mine that have Invisible Sun tattoos and they're really, really into it. And that's awesome. If that's the game they want to play, because ultimately if it's the game that you want to be in, then, then, then more power to you if you can find the group to play it. Mm-hmm. But that's, there's definitely a lot of concept in Invisible Sun that's gorgeous and beautiful. And I, I love flipping through the books. Mm-hmm. I just understand. I'm the guy that who likes fantasy, like, you know, like your highness. Okay. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> you know, that's where I'm, my brain goes in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So I'm yeah. not the guy that's going to run you through that. I did space run darkest house. Darkest house was really cool. I like that feel, but that's haunted house. I can do haunted house. Cause I already know what a haunted house is, but if you tell me the adventure has to be that you and your party of neighbors are on a quest to find the missing number between three and epsilon charlie and it smells like bees think yeah <laughs> that was stolen by like the living embodiment of like crocodile ennui then that is invisible sun and the memory mines where they're physically digging up old memories and using them as currency it just like what <laughs> like it is it's really surreal it's kind of good odd, luck so. to you for 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 yeah. uh, hopefully well, you get to pull it together i know we'll see at some point uh Another aspect I think that I love about it is just the props and like physically That's having cool. things like that. And I would, I would like more RPGs to do that. Um, I love props because it's just nice to, you know, you get this spell and fling a card over there and not, not necessarily buying all the extra stuff that they make. Like lots of people make lots of extra stuff, but something that's intrinsically tied to it. And I don't know more, more than a ring or a necklace or something, but uh, I feel like, um, Invisible Sun does that really well. It has a very tactile feeling to it as you're playing. <laughs> so, and part of that is the severed hand, and you have a whole game board, and you're like yep. laying out Hard. the paths of the suns. It's cool. Yep. So, they added mechanics to it that were out there in a way from different normal mechanics. I mean, you were having one on. He talks about having one on one sessions with the players. They were talking about the app that comes with it. They're talking, like you said, the hand isn't just a prop; it's a piece of the game that's doing something and changing things within the game. So they were adding like new mechanics to it also. So not only did you have that compelling, but complicated world, but you had to deal with compelling and complicated new gaming mechanics. It wasn't just I have skill checks and I have combat checks and we're wait, done, you know? Wait a second. Were <laughs> but I, I, and okay, I'll get a little controversial. I don't think okay. they're new. I think what he was doing, I, I personally believe what he's doing in that game is he's, He's trying to encapsulate things that a lot of good GMs do already. I was having one-on-one sessions with my players when I was in middle school. That ain't new. That's just, you know, something that good GMs do sometimes if they want to expand the story of their player characters at the table. Props, I mean, I've been doing props back since I was trying, I almost set my kitchen on fire trying to make printer paper look old by lighting the sides of it on with, with a lighter, you know, and trying to make it like all crispy and that, Printer paper is not Hand, the paper. Handwritten return. notes. Yeah. So I think that just the, that what it did was sort of encapsulate good GM, DM, judge, referee, uh, you know, setting design and campaign design and, and, and story design and kind of put it into something that says, okay, we're going to force you down that path. The thing is, if you don't like one of those paths, then it it's not a game you can you can run you know right. you can do the cards yourself you you mm. it's dixit i mean it's it the, the path of sons is dixit you know mm. you can cast a spell and i cast a spell and here's my dixit card and you can say okay well that's whatever happens in that dixit card that's going to happen in your game you know and dixit cards are really great with that i i use uh i personally like and, and I, I get no money for this so i'm just like i had them sitting next to me but i like the inkwell decks <laughs> You can kind of see those. Nope. You can't. All you see is a pagoda. Oh, well, there <laughs> yeah. we go. The art is overpowered. I there like the go. inkwell decks. I keep these yeah. around for random encounters because I like to always have something with me if my players decide to go off the rails because mine do. So uh, mm-hmm. I like to have that tactile stuff. But I think that I, I challenge whether that's new or not or whether. Yeah, I don't good. think it's new, but it's that the publisher's doing it. It's not that the GMs are coming up with it on their own. Well, it's and we've talked about it before, it Lucian, where some sometimes players, and in this case, I think GMs 
they need to be told that it's okay to do this. And I think a lot of like a game like Numenera is like, oh, I could I could make fake business cards for things and like hand it out to my that sound you know, and not that it's okay, but like it sparks that idea. But yeah, sure. I, yeah. Um, I'm curious, James, before we, well, we still have five minutes or so, but I, I want to know, like, do you have a favorite DCC module and, or, or what's the one that everyone needs to play? Like, Peril on the Purple that. Planet. Peril on the Purple Planet. Peril on the Purple Planet. Run that, get that. You got to get kind of higher level to get there. But the level, is, yeah. So that's level four, but there's a funnel, it, isn't there as well? There is, but then there's nothing between the funnel though and level four. Yeah. The funnel takes characters there and then that's it. Um, Hands down, I still think is the best DCC adventure. I think their best product is Lankmar, but I think like the best single box is Lankmar because Lankmar is they just knocked that out of the park. But uh, as an adventure, I think the the Purple Planet universe world system, if you could run that module four, five, six, ten times, and because it incorporates you know traditional adventure design with hex crawling it's always going to be different. My story of my characters that beat that adventure will be very different from yours. You know, they may not find that floating sky car at the bottom of an acid lake. They may not spend a whole session trying to get the sky car out of the acid lake, which made a lot of the middle part of their story very easy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they may be across the wastes and have half their party die and have to be reinforced with cat person Kith as their additional add-on characters. It's it's such a good module and it's a box set. And unfortunately, it's very hard to find right now. I think the rumor is it's going to get reprinted, but like I have no information about that to say it. So I I love that box set and you know I I have that answer always ready to go. That's, that's do you I guess you favorite. could take other uh, modules and place them in Perils of the Purple Planet, but you do you could. think they'll ever make more? Like so specifically with Lankmar. They're like, here's this box set. And then they made all these fun adventures in the Lankmore universe. I was sad that they didn't have that for Purple Planet. Because, like, I read it and I really love it. And I want to run it as well. And it's one of those where I'm like, I, I wish we had, like, a starting village almost. And I could, you like... You have to remember, so. you have to remember when, who, who was Goodman Games when they wrote it? It was 2015 when they started putting that together. Mm -hmm. And they were a different company back then. DCC hadn't taken off like it did now. They were only going to really publish the main adventure unless they got a bigger Kickstarter. Then Kickstarter blew up, you know? So, mm. I mean, it's the game became something more. Original Numenera was like that. Monty had, was ready to do a, 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 a softback, like black and white uh, setting book if he had to, you know? So I don't think they were quite ready for how that blew up. And it was just wasn't, I think if they did Purple Planet now, it would have a lot more in there but i just i don't know who i was talking with online there are other it was just recently i was saying someone said well how can we get you know bolster this with more adventures oh i know i think i can't talk about it too much i think it was a question on glober and the one we just recorded i think it was on that, that i talked about it but i gave examples of adventures you could run because you could easily bolt on zero level adventures or and first level adventures and second level adventures from other things you could do mcc really easily yeah you could you know, you could throw a fallen star for all in there and just twist the tech to be our artifacts from from uh, the purple planet instead of from MCC. So you can you you can make it a full setting. You just have to you probably need to have a little bit of DCC under your belt. You might run it too deadly because a lot of the charts for travel and whatnot yeah. on the hex crawling is really built for that third. We started at third level is when we okay. started it and it was fine. Or or just start at third level. That's another thing that a lot of people like I think, well, no, never mind. Never mind. I haven't done it at all. <laughs> no, sure. No, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm messing. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I really want to I got, I got that. some questions here. Last, let's wrap them up or speed speed round maybe. Speed round. Speed round. <laughs> Do you, uh, what game have you bought that you haven't played yet? What's your best game you've bought but still haven't got to play yet? The Expanse. RPG. Oh, that's a good one. Bucket list. Are you going to make your own game? No. Never? No. Why? Just a second. Are you going to ever do a Kickstarter? <laughs> no. <laughs> He's no, asking, why? Because <laughs> you're brilliant. I love. I get paid stuff. to do other crap. I get paid to do other stuff. You know? Right. No, this is my hobby. I, I I get to watch someone do this as a career in my house, and it's mm -hmm. I don't need that. 
Well, we're having her on next then too, because I want to talk to her. <laughs> She's out of time. She's answering too many questions. Oh, that's probably true. <laughs> what game haven't you bought, but you're looking forward to? Anything I on the haven't horizon? bought and I'm looking forward to? Anything on the horizon you've heard of? You're ready to... Oh, crap. Uh, I mean, can I, I can say like DCC Dying Earth, it's coming out yet, but I mean, I've Swords of the Serpentine, I've pre-ordered. Dune, I have pre-ordered. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what else is coming out. That's Stargrave just showed up because I like, you know, Frostgrave and stuff. And I just got Stargrave. I'm playing that in a few weeks. I'm not sure. It's a, that's, you know, I'll be interested to see what D&D six edition looks like. I'm that's interested true. in that. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> How about you, Jordan? Any last questions for James? Um, well, no, I just want to say that uh, James also has a podcast and you guys should yes. check it out. It is called Glowburn. Um, and it is about the mutant crawl I classics. I share a podcast. You share I share a, a co-host with Mark Plord, and it was Mark. Yeah, Mark's really cool. Um, and me. there are links down below in the description, or if you're listening to this as a podcast, uh, there are also links in the the summary or whatever they call podcast descriptions. I don't know. Um, and yeah, check out Living for Crits on YouTube if you want to watch the ramblings of Judge James and Judge Evie about uh, how heavy uh, Tolis books are. So. <laughs> it's a lot of fun thank you so much for coming on uh we had a great time this was awesome um so good you're welcome back anytime yeah welcome back anytime big fan as i said tangent four hit me up i'll be i'll come on all right right. (laughs) uh thank you again uh for those of you uh, subscribe all that stuff i don't know anyway thank you for watching everyone we'll see you next week with another episode of the saturday morning D D show take care